we appear to be at he, uh, Romans 12, 9, uh, in light of what Terry was just saying. So what are you thinking? 10. Oh, 10. The other 12. I know, one week. The other 12, the one that's... <laughs> Don't feel bad, Sid. They pulled that out. <laughs> the, other, the other 12, the one that has a zero in it. You know, so... Uh, um, in in 10.9. But I want to go back and just lay the, the groundwork. We're in the second part of what Paul is arguing about... Um, the, the role of Israel. Where does Israel stand in the plan of God? And uh, on this screen, as, as you have it there, um, Israel rejected God's righteousness. Uh, so this whole section from 930 through chapter 1021, in fact, that takes us right through chapter 10, um, is about Israel rejecting God's righteousness. So, so the argument here is that... Um, Israel was presented a gospel of grace. They rejected that. And I just finished Deuteronomy last night. Um, that w- was that last night? Well, it seems longer ago than that. Uh, I just finished teaching Deuteronomy finally after uh, we started in Genesis back in 2021 and we're just finishing it now. It's taken us two and a half years to get through the five books. But um, I told them Last night, I, I have taught that material umpteen times, I, 20 or 30 times before, but I've never had the privilege to answer all the questions and to and to really dig into the text. So I normally did it in 16 weeks. <laughs> uh, so what we did in 16 weeks, we did in two and a half years here. But the uh, same thing with Romans. I don't get the opportunity except at churches Seminaries don't have time for us to go into the kind of detail we're going into. But the, the part of the argument that Paul is in, he's, he's asking, um, he's not asking, his interlocutor is asking, um, Paul, if all, of, all that you're saying is true, how come Israel is cast aside? If, if God really does saved by grace how come Israel is cast aside mm-hmm. and so uh, the first part chapter, effectively chapter 9 the first part is saying well um, he really didn't cast Israel aside he, there's a remnant and that's where he's going to end up there is a remnant but the rest were hardened and we dealt with the hardening passage last week and drawing on what we said in chapter 1 of Genesis, of Romans, the other Genesis. <laughs> um, I, I've been thinking about Genesis this morning, so it's going to be on my mind. It may come out if I say Genesis, unless I give you a specific passage in Genesis, just assume I'm talking about Romans. Um, uh, the, the issue is that hardening is not taking very nice people and making them bad chapter 1 of Romans, the whole point is that these folks have rejected God's goodness, and so he hands them over to more sin. He's not making them sin. He's removing his restraints on sin. Uh, As we talk, uh, Jen and I are leaving Monday to go to St. Louis for vacation. Somebody last night said, do you know anything about St. Louis? I said, no, I don't have any idea what there is to see there, but I know my kids have gone to St. Louis for trips, and so there's probably something up there to see. 
And one of the people said last night, do you know that the two most violent cities in America are Memphis and St. Louis? <laughs> In that order, stay off East St. Louis. East, well, yeah, that that goes without saying. But is that across the river or is that right up across against the river? river? Yeah, we we. The only reason I want to go to over the over the river is to go to Grant's Farm, mm -hmm. and just see Grant's Farm. But um, beyond that, um, here we are going to St. Louis. Uh, um, why are you able? in the most violent city in America to drive here safely. It's because God is restraining still with all the, with all the wickedness that there is in our city. He's still restraining the expression of sin in the lives, even of the lost. Um, so the, the handing them over in, he, in Romans 1 is, is allowing them to do more of the sin that they wanted to do, but they felt constrained about doing it. And here in Romans uh, 9, God's hardening is not taking wonderful, kind, generous, loving people and making them sinful. It's taking sinful people and removing the restraints so that all that, as, as we saw in Romans 6 and 7, all that flesh can do, it does do. So the more you pursue law, the more you're like you will be a slave to sin, as Paul says. So we're we're at the end of that part of the argument, and we're starting the second part of Paul's explanation: why, what's happened to Israel? If Israel can be separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, as he as he using the language of the end of chapter eight. Maybe we can too. And so what's going on with Israel? What's, what's happening? And the second point here, Israel rejected God's righteousness. Why, is, why did he harden them? Because they rejected his righteousness. There's only one kind of righteousness that God accepts, and that is faith righteousness. So 930, um, and, and we'll just do this quickly because apparently we got into chapter 10 last week. Uh, in in nine uh, in in chapter ten verses one to three, Paul longs for the conversion of Israel. Oh, that Israel's zeal for God would bring them to faith, but they have rejected God's righteousness and have tried to establish their own. Uh, so ten one to three, ten four to thirteen, we pretty much covered last week. But here is the summary I've given on the screen. Christ is the true goal of all righteousness, proclaimed by all the prophets, offered to both Jew and Greek, who will call on Jesus as uh, as Yahweh, mighty to save. Um, I'm, I've been thinking this morning, I've set aside my, my Hebrews project, and I've taken up the other project that is is bearing on my mind. It's It's... It's in a sense more important to me than writing the commentary on Hebrews, and that is, uh, I don't know what to call the, the study yet. Right now, it's called Genesis and Faith. <laughs> uh, but I'm, my goal is to show that faith was inherent in the in the message of Genesis from the very beginning, and so I, I will start with Eve 
So this morning, by the way, I was writing an introduction, trying to get, how do I even start this book? And that's always the hard part, writing the introduction. In a sense, you must write the book first and then write the introduction. But um, in order to write the book, I have to know why I'm talking about faith and, and what faith is. So I'm, that's, that's where I've started this morning. I'm going to start in the book, the first chapters, after this introductory stuff. Um, the first chapter is going to be about Eve, who does not act in faith, not at least initially, she does later. In naming the, the child, I think that's an act of faith, given the fact that when people name things in Genesis, it tends to be naming in light of the promises of God and what God has done or is doing. Does this make sense to you? Yes or no? Yes? All right. All right. Read Genesis and watch for namings. Uh, and leave Genesis uh, 4 out for the, for the immediate study. But as you read through Genesis the next time, watch for people naming things. Uh, so Jacob names this place Beit Ale. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Are you with me? Uh, so he's he's talking about the promises of God, the nature of God, the work of God, and so he names things that way. And that, that that's even true of Hagar, uh, Abraham's uh, concubine, who names the well the well that belongs to the living one who sees me. So she has she is naming that as an as an act of faith in some respect. Does this make sense to you? Um, so. My argument is going to be in that book that from the very beginning, God already established the the nature of right relationship with himself is faith. Um, did we did we look at at Noah last week? Um, okay, yeah in in chapter eight. God says, my spirit will not always strive with man for the intent, the, every thought of his heart is only evil continually. That's Genesis 8. That's after the flood. When he talks about man here, he's talking about mankind. Who is mankind after the flood? Immediately after the flood. Noah and his family. Noah and his family. What's true about Noah Righteous. No. Every thought of his heart is only evil continually, but he's a man of faith. But he's righteous. Yeah. Uh, so Martin Luther was right when he talked about the status of a Christian, simul justus et peccator, at the same time, righteous and a sinner. Wow. Uh, so... The, the, the point is, then, that from the very beginning, God has intended people to walk by faith with him. That was the problem of Eve in the garden. We talked about this months ago, but in the garden, it's not disobedience that caused the fall. It's that she doesn't trust the word of God anymore. She trusts the word of the serpent. And so it's an act of unbelief. The, the, the disobedience is the result of the unbelief, but not the cause of the fall. The disobedience is the effect of the fall. 
the the fall occurs when she believes the word of the serpent not the word of god so from the very beginning god has intended us to relate to him by faith sinful but people of faith yes um uh, and and i always in teaching genesis when i get to chapter six now noah found favor in the eyes of the lord and i will ask the students why did he find favor in the eyes of the lord they will say well says he's righteous in, in verse uh, in, in two verses down. I said, well, well, yeah, that's true. Um, what does righteous mean? Well, he, he obeys God. Um, I'll point out a couple things to you. I'll say to them, do you see the next verse after Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord? I think it's verse nine. I'm not sure which verse it is in chapter six. These are the generations of Noah. Okay, that's a structural marker. Do I assume, if I'm reading a story, do I assume that the logic, if I'm reading anything, and I go from chapter 9 to chapter 10, do I assume that the logic of the last sentence of chapter 9 inherently informs the logic of the first sentence of chapter 10? According to your Dallas degree. (laughs) I say inherently. I, I am expected to carry that bag, that luggage, all the way through the book. But does does a statement in verse at the beginning of chapter ten inherently tie to the logic of the statement at, at the end of verse nine? And in the story, not necessarily, because you may go to a completely different character in the story. Yes. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, no, it doesn't. Well, then there's a break between the verse where God says, um, uh, or where, where the text says, Noah was a righteous... I, he, 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 I, I don't even remember what it says now. What does it say? One of you has it. Noah was a just man. Is what the, uh, yeah. What's it, how, is that the whole verse? Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and yeah. walked with God. The word perfect can mean also complete or or mature in his generations. Uh, we quickly see how he was smashed drunk in his tent right up. Yeah, I, I don't know quite what to make of that story. Uh, there, there are some odds and ends there that I can't altogether factor together to understand what precisely that's about. Um, um, what it is about is about the breach of family loyalty that Ham, and and you know why Ham is cursed, because he's such a pig. Some of you don't care about passing this course. It's a good thing I'm not giving any grades in this class. <laughs> That's true. Well. You don't. I always told my students, you have to laugh at the jokes. What you have to understand, though, is the jokes don't have to be funny. You just have to realize that I think they're funny, and I expect to laugh from it. So um, that'll that'll do. That'll do. I'll take that. Even a groan, I will take a groan. So (laughs) the 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 issue then is from the very beginning, the very beginning. Faith has been the standard for right relationship with God. That's not well 
accepted even in evangelical circles. Um, they will say, oh no, God gave the law. In fact, I have a, a, a I know a man uh, fairly well, not real well, but I know him fairly well, who said to say that the law is an act of, of justice from God against sinful people, that's horrible. The law was a great blessing for Israel. I've read through that material recently. And it, yeah, well, I've read through that material recently. I can't find any place where it says that God, by grace, gave the law to Moses and to Israel. Um, and then if, if I've read Moses, I've read the other Moses, Paul, properly, then um, the law is not appointed for the righteous, but for the wicked, Paul says. So if that's the case, then I've got to read it that way. Um, so here we are. Then Israel rejected God's righteousness in, in verses 4 to 13. We looked pretty much at that passage last time. Let me just pick it up just for, uh, for sake of fullness. Uh, verse uh, 9 then, the, at the end of verse 8, he says, This is the word of faith which we are preaching. And then he gives us the content of that word of faith. If therefore you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, um, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness. And with the mouth one confesses to salvation. Yes? Um, I'm spinning a little bit here. Stuff, you know, several weeks, months back, we talked about foreknowledge mm-hmm. and uh, you know, predestined. And, yeah. But this sounds a whole lot like free will. God rejected, um, Israel rejected. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. they were left to their own devices. My and problem, it, yeah. It's got me spinning. Let me let me address that. That's a crucial question. Um, the problem is the word free will, the, the expression free will. Um, by free will, what do you mean? If somebody has free will, what does that mean for them in terms of choices? I guess unlimited power to choose. You can choose either either one or the other, and doesn't matter. You 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 don't you're not inclined in any way to either one. Um, does does God have free will? No. No. Um, God can't choose sin ever. So is He less free than we are? See, our problem is that that we've defined the word free in an American way. Well, that's right. We have deceived ourselves that we have freedom in our will. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. And, and the point is, is so, so I haven't read much philosophy. <laughs> Very little. I've read some, but not much. But one of the categories that they use for that to explain free will is power of alternate choice. In any given situation, one with free will has equally the, the capacity to choose any option that is presented to the will. But God doesn't have that. God can never choose to sin. Can't ever choose to break His Word. Yes? So is God less free than we are? Terry, you say no. 
How do you, why do you say no? God is not less free than we are. Because he's God. Yeah. I think that concept doesn't even pertain to God. Well, I, but freedom does apply to God. And so I've got to think of some way of, of defining freedom that both God and I have it. If the one, I would argue that God is more free than we are because God may do all that he wants to do at any time and in any way that he wants to do it. Would you grant that? God, God is more free than I am. So I can't define freedom in a way that make, makes God less free than I am. He's sovereign. That's his freedom. Well, yeah, but, but let me get to the point here. But, but he's free in everything he does. It's good. Yeah, that's true. So but here's, here's, when we define freedom, this we is, have to include goodness. That's right. So I've got, I've got an alternative here. Instead of going with uh, power of alternate choice, a better definition, this came from my favorite professor, um, a better definition is um, freedom is the capacity to choose spontaneously without coercion in accord with one's own nature. Does God have that freedom? Yes. Yes. Do you have that freedom? Yes. Yeah. Everything I choose, I choose spontaneously, without coercion. That's true. Yeah. Um, and in accord with, with my own nature. When I won the draft lottery, <laughs> I had a choice. Go to Canada. Would change your name? Yeah. Go to Canada or go into the service. Yep. Uh, going to Canada was not an op- option for a kid who grew up in the 50s and 60s because you're a, you're a patriot. Yes? Yes. And as a patriot, the, the government calls. Your duty is to, is to show up. So I, I, I was not excited about signing up. I was not excited about going off to the Army nine days after I got married. This was not an exciting choice of mine, but I didn't have other options that that my nature would allow me to choose. Do you follow this? So there was some coercion in it, but not a lot, because nobody was there holding a pistol to my head saying, go downtown and show up at the, at the uh, induction center uh, to be in- inducted into the United States Army. I, my wife drove me there at five in the morning, dropped me off, ninth day of our marriage, dropped me off, and I disappeared for eight weeks or nine. I can't remember how long it was. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I chose freely. Uh, God chooses freely. He, he chooses spontaneously, without coercion, in accord with his own nature. Jesus chooses freely. And lost people choose freely, spontaneously, without coercion, in accord with their own nature. And their nature is, I don't want anything to do with God. Um, so, when offered an opportunity of faith, they're going to go with unbelief. So how does anyone ever come to faith? My favorite professor said, God jiggles their willer. <laughs> uh, look at Philippians one twenty nine. Uh, you will have a verb there that I want to explain. 
Um, do you have it was given? It, it has been granted. Uh, I want to I want to clarify that word just slightly. It's it's related to the word grace. Um, and this is a a. Um, a benevolent bestowal of something. So what does he say? What is bestowed upon us out of the benevolence of God? To believe in him and also to suffer. Now what you see there is two, two infinitives. To believe, to suffer. Yes? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they are in Greek. But they are also nouns. An infinitive is a verbal noun. Okay? So... So I prefer to translate it this way. For to you, God has benevolently bestowed the gifts of believing in his name and suffering for his sake. So where does faith come from? God. God. I don't even have faith if it's not given to me by God. Uh, There was an old Philippians 2.13 is equally important here. Uh, it's actually 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. I've puzzled over what that with fear and trembling means. I thought I had it down once, and then I went back and checked my results, and they were wrong. So, rats. (laughs) Uh, So I still don't know what... It means to work out with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Um, so we've got a task to fulfill, and it's pretty serious because he talks about doing it with fear and trembling. Yes? But then there's verse 13. See, I have a, a, a Savannah, you don't know this yet, but you're going to learn it. I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary, and I know great and wise things most people don't know. And one of the things I know is that verse 12 comes before verse 13. So great insight here uh, um, you, you, <laughs> well the chapter divisions in our text are not good but in a in a in a standard American English text they, the, the chapter divisions may be fairly significant yeah well uh, even there the chapter divisions are not terribly significant um, but notice there in verse 13 what's the first word? Four. Four. What's that mean? Connected to the previous word. As connected to the previous statement. How? It's explaining. It's explaining how this can be done. For the one who is producing in you the willing, and again, this is a an, a, 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 an infinitive, an articular infinitive, which this is the direct object of the verb. This is a noun. The willing and the doing of his good pleasure, God has given to us. God is working in us. Um, Verse 13. uh, God is energizing in us the willing and the doing for his good pleasure. If that's true, there are five things that I think uh, are correct corollaries of it. 
first, if I ever do anything good, it's because God gave me the will to do it. I don't even want to do anything good if God doesn't first give it to me. I got to ask that question. Not everyone gets that. Not everyone gets that. Yeah. Second, if I ever do anything that God approves, it's because he's given me the ability to do it. Third, I can't even do it. He does it in me. Fourth, he gives the results. And fifth, he rewards me. So, I, I'd call that grace. And I'm confident that at the judgment seat, God will pass, give us whatever the nature of reward is that we will receive. I have no idea what that reward can be. But Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That what, what is ahead for us is so beyond our comprehension that, that, they, that the biblical writers can't even explain it to us. Um, used to sing a song, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? Uh, do, do you remember that song? Oh, good. I didn't like it then either, but <laughs> but uh, we used to sing it. What's a star in my crown? You know, what's a big deal about that? The, the the reward that awaits you is so great that you're going to be astonished, and you will say, "But Father, that's altogether out of proportion to anything I have ever done." And He will say, "I know." But the gift has to be worthy of me, mm. not of you. Mm. Wow. This is what I'm pleased to give you. Then, then receive it from a loving Father. Yeah. Does this make sense? Uh, in a gift-giving culture, the greatest people give the greatest gifts. So, God being the greatest of all beings must give the greatest of all gifts. So, I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. Do you know this song? No? You've never heard this? I hadn't heard it until we moved to Memphis. But in that, but but in, let's see, but in that city where the ransom will shine, I have a gold one that's silver lined. What am I going to do with a gold house lined with silver? Why would you line it with silver anyway? You know? If it's got gold, why would you line it with silver? Uh, I mean, but but God's reward is going to be so amazing uh, because He's rewarding His own work in us, and therefore He has to give what is consistent with what He did, not with what I did. Does this make any sense? No, they don't really make sense. But well, I mean, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, but if 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 God is the kind of person that we think we know from Scripture, then is this consistent with that? Yes. That's what I'm after here. Yes. The the point then is that no one ever exercises faith unless it's a gift of God. 
folks, if Philippians 2.13 is right about um, believers, then what chance do non-believers have unless God gives them the faith? Or Philippians 1.29. If, if that's right about believers, then what chance do non-believers have unless God grants them faith? I'm sure I'm not asking this question correctly, but isn't that what fear of trembling is trying to make a believer aware of the fact that, hey, it's not about Maybe so. Do. Maybe so. And it's yeah. of his good pleasure. I mean, maybe maybe that's it. it. He's doing it, and it's yeah. for his good pleasure. I had never thought in those terms, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, I, I always thought that because uh, at least I convinced myself of this, that the price of that was so high mm-hmm. that we should approach it and take care of it yeah. like it's something extremely precious. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. tried to make it with all seriousness, but fear and trembling don't seem to be that anyplace else in Scripture, so I, I had to go back to fear and trembling. Um, back to Romans 10 then. Um, so Larry, back to your... Larry, back to your... I was wondering about what Harlan was just saying. It is When you're talking about fear... Is what you were saying, the fear and trembling, is we need to realize we're not doing it, and that's what the fear and trembling right. is? Right. It's, it's like we're in awe. Uh, yeah. It's like the fear of God, not fear. Not dread of God. Dread is yeah. exactly the yeah. of a bear. Yeah. It's like, it's like if someone told you, we're going to take a picture of you, and we want you to hold the Mona Lisa there, so we're going to take a picture of you. How would you feel about that? Yeah. You know what I mean? uh, so, Larry, back to your question. Yeah, uh, this is this is what we were talking about in Romans eight, um, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I didn't really unpack that. Uh, for new, foreknowledge is not being aware of somebody beforehand. Uh, it's used in Acts twenty six. When Paul is before Festus, I believe, and the and the Jews are there, and uh, Paul says about them, these men have known me for a long time, and it's the verb form of that, the, the same verb that's used in Romans eight, uh, twenty nine, or twenty, whatever it is, twenty six. Um, no, it is twenty nine. I guess I don't know what verse it is. Uh, so. Um, to know some, to know somebody is different from knowing something. If I said to you, "I know Abraham Lincoln," what would you say? There's something wrong with you, or you're a whole lot older than you look. Uh, yeah, uh, because to know a person means have a relationship with them, right? Um, to know a thing is to have awareness in your mind. But to know a person, that's true in English. It's also true in Greek. So uh, there's nothing different in Greek in that regard with the word know here. So God, effectively, what that means is God set his affection on some in, in, in eternity past. Um, so whom he foreknew, he also predestined he set out a destiny for us not salvation 
the destiny that he, 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 he set out for us is to become like his son. So that's why he says, he, whom he foreknew, he also uh, predestined to be conformed to, this, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And whom he, for, whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. So from eternity, when, when does God learn? When in time does God learn? Hmm? That, that sounds like a ridiculous question. It is a ridiculous question, but it's an important question. Never, he never. He always knows. So he never learns. He always knows. So in eternity past, this is a strange thing. I, I know this is painful to some, and I'm sorry. I, I grieve over that pain. But folks... If I've read this properly, what that's saying in Romans 8, uh, 29 and 30, what it's saying is, in eternity past, God set his affection on you and made the plan of your life to be just what it is so that at some point uh, he would call you and justify you and then finally glorify you. And he set out the goal in eternity past, he predestined us. Am I making sense to you? Folks, it's not a question whether we're going to believe in election or not. The Bible teaches election. It's just how you're going to define it. And are you going to define it uh, in ways that are comfortable for us? Or are you going to let the text have, have it say? And that's a judgmental way of saying, I shouldn't have said it that way. Please forgive me for that. But it's true. But it's, the point is not to say, take the edge off so that people are, are more comfortable with the idea. The point is, what is the text telling me? What does it say? Ephesians chapter 1 talks about the election. It's an election according to grace. Well, if it's an election according to grace then no works are involved. I'm not better than the kid next door. I happen to live on Downing Street in Oklahoma City, in the, actually in the village. You've never heard of the village. It's a two-square-mile city in the middle of Oklahoma City. <laughs> but I grew up on Downing Street, and the kid next door was named Buell Culver. And at seven years old, God called me. I don't know whether he ever called Buell I don't know. He moved away some a year or so later. The, the point I'm making is, why me, Lord? Uh, seems like we, there was a song about that one time. Mm -hmm. uh, was it Christofferson that did that? Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to receive even one of the blessings you give? I did, boy. It was... That sounds just like it. <laughs> uh, so, so why me? I don't know. Because I, I fit the bill best to show the grace of God. The utterly unworthy is now made worthy. He wanted you to be among the many brethren. That's true. If it wasn't for that. That's true. If it wasn't for elect, there wouldn't be. That's right. So, back to Romans uh, chapter 10. <laughs> can, can I ask you? Sure, Terry, go ahead. You, you gave those five points, and I'm, I missed the second point. Okay. Like you're talking about Philippians. Um, I've, I've got to go through it. Um, 
If I ever do anything, go ahead. Point two, the ability to. Oh, the ability. He gives me the ability to do it. He does it for me. Then he does it in me. And then he gives the results. And then he glorifies me. He, 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 he honors me. Okay. I'll never get over that. So the second one was? Uh, he first gives me the will to do it, then, he, then the ability. Then he does it in me. Then he gives the results, and finally he glorifies me, uh, praises me for doing it. Um, so back to Romans 10, um, uh, verse uh, not uh, verse. Where did we really stop reading? Oh, verse 11. For the Scripture says, "Everyone who I must read this differently. No one who believes in Him will be ashamed." Shame, folks is not something you feel because you did something wrong in Scripture primarily. Shame is uh, you've, you've counted something worthwhile and it fails. And what you're left with is shame. So in Micah chapter 7, when God comes to establish his kingdom, as Micah is describing it there, uh, the nations will be ashamed of their military because they put all their hope in the military. They, they thought their whole security was in their military. But when God acts, <laughs> he's not subject to atomic bombs. So, so when God acts, they will all be shamed by having put their confidence in, a, um, in an object that, that must fail. The, uh, this, this we've run into before, this concept, this way we've run into before. We ran into it in chapter 5. Not only so, but we boast, note boast. What you boast in, if it fails, leaves shame. All right? It, uh, not only so, but we boast in tribulation. This is Romans 5, 3 to 5. We boast in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces endurance. Endurance produces approved character. Approved character produces um, hope. And hope does not make ashamed because of the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. The, the point there is uh, we boast in tribulation. That's utterly out of harmony with the whole of Roman thought. No Roman uh, grandee ever boasted about all the sufferings that he had, all his times of weakness. Always, he would mention the fact that, oh, they nearly defeated us, but I, through the wisdom of my counsel, gave advice, and the and the uh, ships turned, and we we uh, and and uh, Apollo gave us the wind by at our at our sails, and we rammed them and destroyed the whole fleet, and we have won the great victory because of my great, you know, that, that that's what they boasted about. We boast in what others don't boast in, trouble. Because trouble has a salutary effect on us. It is the way we produce, God produces the likeness of Christ in us. So here, um, verse, uh, uh, the scripture, um, uh, no one who believes in him shall be ashamed. You're going to put your hope in God, you won't be ashamed. He's not going to fail you. Um, 
Let's see. I keep losing my place. Um, where, where was that? Verse 11. Verse 11, thank you. Yeah. Verse 12 then. Um, for there is no Jew difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord of all is rich to all who call upon him. Now, why does he bring up Jew and Greek here? Well, the thing is, we want to accept. Each yeah. The problem at the church appears to be a problem between Jews and, 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 uh, and Gentile believers. Mm-hmm. That they're dividing over food. What food can you eat? So he's saying, look, folks, if you're one of the strong brothers, how can you despise one who is a recipient of all this? And if you're one of the of the weak brothers, this is Savannah. This is the language he uses in Romans 14 to to talk about the two groups that he's writing to try to solve the rift between. So, uh, if you're one of the weak brothers, how can you condemn a brother? whose hope is in God. God approves him. So how can you disapprove him? How can you try to shame him? In in fact, the the language that he uses in Romans 14 is condemn. Uh, So how can you go about doing that? There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord of all is rich to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon his name shall uh, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, now, uh, let me move to the next segment of our notes. But Israel has surely heard the message proclaimed by the prophets and has been disobediently obstinate in unbelief. They did hear the message, didn't they? What would you say? Did they hear the message? No. And that's his answer, too. Verse 1, verse 14. For, for, therefore... Uh, how shall they call upon him of whom, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And shall they hear? How, how shall they hear without someone to proclaim the message? And how shall they proclaim the message unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But not all, not all have heard the gospel. Uh, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, in verse 18 begins a new paragraph, in effect. Uh, um, but I say, it, it's not the case that some did not hear, is it? That's a really difficult verse for us. To translate, how does your verse read? How does it read there in 18, first part? But I say, have they not heard? Yeah, okay. Paul is asking a question to which he expects the answer no. But he's got too many knots in there for for English. Uh, It isn't the case that they didn't hear, is it? Is a kind of paraphrase of what he's saying in this statement. Uh, Yes. I'm sorry. I know it, but I'm not passing any judgment on your character. English, English Standard and King James both have the word obey rather than hear. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why uh, altogether they did that uh, to 
in Hebrew, <laughs> this is strange, of all the languages in the world, why would this language have no verb for obey? Of all the languages in the world, B- biblical Hebrew has no word for obey. Mm-hmm. So the word, the, the way they express obey is to listen to the voice of someone. Okay. Right. That's, so that's how it would be used in Hebrew. Yeah. Well, right? Yeah. It would be in what? In Hebrews. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it in that book. But here, it's it's he's not talking about obeying the gospel. He's talking about hearing it. It isn't that they didn't hear, is it? On the contrary, um, their voice has, has gone out into all the earth, and their words have gone out into the into the extremities of the settled world. But I say, is it the fact that Israel didn't hear? First, Moses says. I will stir you up to jealousy by a non-entity, a non-people. And by a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And Isaiah becomes very bold and he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. And I became known to those who were not asking about me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contradictory people. Um, so the the issue here, this is not so much telling us how faith is built. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is to say, did Israel ever get the message? And Paul and, and Paul's final answer there is in verse twenty one. Um all day long I've stretched out my hands to you um, in, uh, uh, to, a, uh, uh, to, um, to a disobedient and refractory people. Uh, did they get the message? Yes. yes. But when you read the prophets, do you hear salvation by grace through faith? Uh, we should. <laughs> Joel used. I mean, the, one of the phrases that you that uh, Paul uses in verse thirteen is from Joel. Yeah. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be yeah. saved. So yeah. I mean, it's in. It's there. The but we've read it wrong, just like they did. See, we've we've told each other the first five books of the Bible are the law, and Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. So when we go to Deuteronomy, we go there to see the law. We don't know what to do with chapters 1 to 4. They're not laws, but, but this is the second law, so that's what it's got to be. And so we start with law. Folks, that was what we were created to do, and our fallen condition has corrupted it so that we're always looking for rules, and, and, and especially if you're an American of a certain generation. A man pulled me aside one day after I preached at at another church. And he said, Jim, you're a good preacher, but you're not a great preacher. Just, but here, there's just a little bit we need to do. We just need to tweak you a little bit. You need to be more practical in what you teach. And I thought, thank you. I said, thank you. And and then ignored it. Uh, You meant it, right? Pardon? 
Well, yeah, I did mean it. Uh, he was, but folks, my obligation is not to make application. My obligation is to teach the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit make the application. The Holy Spirit knows how to use his word on in your life a whole lot better than I do. So my task is to find out what the text is saying and then do the best I can saying it and then trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do things for his people. And, and see, that's where I would struggle. I don't mean this exactly like you were saying, but like on that, when you're sharing the scriptures and teaching other believers mm -hmm. and you come across a scripture like that that uses the word obey, mm -hmm. yeah, but it doesn't mean yeah. obey in the, in the sense that we yeah. understand it. How do you handle that? I mean, well, I guess you have to look at the scripture as a whole yeah. Still. Yeah. The way you, the way you handle it is is to be aware of it. I was not aware that the ESV did that. Uh, so I'm I'm fascinated by that. I, I would love to know the reasoning behind it. But. Uh, and the New King James actually says heard. Yeah. Yeah. But the original King James King Yeah. Um, the uh, so where where am I now in my thought? That's all right. It's not a problem. Um, chapter 11, then let's move on past this, to chapter 11. God has not cast away his people, since Paul is the, the tribe of Eph, of Eph, Benjamin. I thought I said Ephraim there. Um, so, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, uh, has he? Of course not. For indeed, I am of Israel... Uh, I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So let me stop here. Paul is evidence that God has not rejected Israel. Um, the problem is what, uh, what Isaiah says here in, in verse 21. What Isaiah says is what Moses said in Deuteronomy. The message of Deuteronomy is God's been trying to woo your hearts these 40 years and you've given no response except rebellion. The only, the only way forward for you is to give up uh, and, and just trust him. You're not going to get anywhere unless you just trust him. And just to keep things on, on an equal, on a, on a proper basis, from the faith comes the obedience. But you can't have obedience that pleases God apart from faith. So obedience with no faith is no obedience at all. So Paul himself is, a, is an Israelite. He's not rejected his people. Verses uh, 1, to, 1 to 10, God preserved a remnant chosen by grace. Uh, verses 2 to 10 now. Uh, um, God has not rejected his people. Verse 3, um, at, at the end of verse 2, as, as um, the scripture um, intercedes, uh, as he intercedes uh, with God against Moses, Elijah. Um, I'm sorry, let's, let's pick it up back at verse 2. I, I didn't get all of verse 2. God has not rejected his people for whom he foreknew. Or do you not know in Elijah, 
uh, what the scripture says, how he interceded with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They've torn down your, your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what does the oracle say to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. Um, and here he introduces what the Old Testament has talked about quite a bit, the concept of the remnant of Israel. Uh, so then, verse 5, so then, at the present time, there is, an, it, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it's by grace, it's no longer by works, since grace is no more grace. And that's a fundamental verse, guys. Uh, this is really critical. Um, you can't have grace mixed together with works. If you're going to say, well, you teach grace, but you, but you also teach works. If you say that, then you're not teaching grace, whatever it is. Because grace is always uh, for the utterly undeserving. If you say, uh, you must win the smile of God. I've seen that from a lot of the charismatic movements. And well... Not just those. It's, I grew up Southern Baptist, and that was that was what we were taught all our lives. I was I was weaned, I was weaned on this stuff. So it's it, it's not just charismatics. Uh, so the the issue, folks, is you mix grace and works, you destroy one or the other, but you can't have both together. Um, and that eleven six is foundational to a definition of what grace is. Um, what then, he says, verse 7, and this goes down through verse 10, what then, what Israel was seeking, they did not achieve. But the remnant achieved it, and the rest were hardened. Made wicked? Were they made wicked? No. God simply removed the restraints for them to do exactly what they wanted to do. Um... King James uses the word blinded there. Okay, yeah. I think hardened is a, is, is a difficult word to explain and blinded might be appropriate, but it's, it's, it has more the sense of just not being aware when you're blinded. When you're hardened, you're turned over to something. It's like an ultimate spiritual insensitivity or stupor, right? Yeah. Which is what it, yeah. like, a, like catatonic. That's like right. Spiritually catatonic. Then he explains it from Scripture, from Deuteronomy 29. Yeah. As it is written, God has given them a spirit of slumber, uh, eyes so, so as not to see, and ears so as not to hear to this very day. And David says, let their table... And he's, he's now speaking... Why does he quote David? Hmm? I, you, you do know, you just don't know you know. <laughs> David is the Messiah. In his day, he's Messiah. So he's talking about Messiah's enemies. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So, and David says, let this Psalm 69, David says, let their table become a snare, a trap, and, and a snare, and a, a cause of stumbling, and something to cause them to trip over. Let their eyes be darkened so as not to see, and their backs bound down continually. 
every promise in the book is mine, every word and every line. <laughs> well, what about all the curses? <laughs> and here's, here's what God has planned, not only for David's enemies, but for the enemies of Messiah Jesus. You want to be an en- enemy of the Messiah Jesus? Then this is your destiny. He forgot to include the rest of it. What, what's the rest Which of it? Is, and let their loins tremble forever. <laughs> right. From Psalm 69. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so, verse uh, 10. Yeah. We move on here <clears throat> to verse 11. <clears throat> in our five steps of answering the question, what is the role of Israel in all of this? We're right against time to quit. Uh, God has hardened it, unbelieving Israel, 9-1 to 29. Israel rejected God's righteousness. But they were inclined to do that in the first place, so he just gave them full opportunity to uh, to reject God's righteousness. Third, in 11, 1 to 10, but God preserved a, a remnant chosen by grace. And finally, or finally for us here, 11, 11 to 24, God gave the promises to Gentiles through faith. And then the, the last step is going to be 25 to 32. Thus he will stir Israel to jealousy, bringing them to salvation through faith. So we'll pick up at um, 11, uh, 11. Ne- uh, not next week. I'll be out of town next week. Yeah, two weeks from today. Uh, so uh, I'll see you then. Let's, let's close with prayer. Father, we've talked about some hard things. Um, but you are God why should we expect to understand everything that you do and if you are God and we are mere men then we must bow before you and when when we've understood your word rightly and that's, that's the other question have we done justice to what your word says if we have understood your word justly then our task is to bow before it bow before you because you're the giver of that word and accept your will as right and good and fair and just and 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 uh, perfect so so help us father to come to grips with the reality that we're in the hands of everlasting almighty god we are not dealing with someone that is on our level that we can understand we're dealing with somebody who's beyond us Let us learn to revel in that, for Jesus' sake. Amen.